Good afternoon to you all and welcome to Sunday Sessions. It's 10th of January 2021. And uh, thank you all for joining me. This is our weekly time of exploring nature-centered folklore, connecting this to within your favorite sanctuary space and expressing your inspired visions from your sanctuary through your poetry, writing, art, craft, performance, and problem solving. Now, today's Sunday session is certainly on the fringe of folklore. Uh, it's divination. And in a way, I believe divination is probably the thing that created uh, folklore. Uh, but let's see what you think as we go through today. Now, including in this one-hour session, it's a huge subject divination, but I'm going to explore some of my fascination for hydromancy, which is scrying divination with water. There's going to be uh, dream interpretation, probably a bit of I Ching, uh, some tarot and psychometry, which is object reading. That's a source of my own storytelling, something that I do for myself. And precognition, uh, which is things out of the blue that uh, you, you suddenly have a vision for and it happens. Anyway, let's see what else pops up. I see uh, we got Glenda uh, Semeno, which is great. She's going to do... Uh, uh, dream interpretations present that to you. Um, I'm not covering the Orm divination, as you know, we do a separate Sunday sessions for that. So we've got the delightful guest coming up. Uh, hopefully, we might have some time for a bit of panel ch uh, chat a bit later. So volunteer to join in. I've got an easy to use uh, link now uh, for you to. Uh, use uh, if you want to be on the panel a bit later on. No, we have some time. Uh, that's the kind of uh, link. Join the panel, and uh, I haven't uh, welcomed you in here. I, I haven't written your comments in. Good morning from New Mexico, from Donna, and so excuse me why I put this in. Uh, and. Right, that's it for a nice welcome for, for those uh, joining in. There we go. Right, that's it, where we get the uh, chat going. Uh, so thank you for joining in, uh, for the folks of you that are. And uh, I'm going to put a, a, I don't know if a link works in comment. Let's try if that, uh, if this actually works. No, I can't put that on, I don't think. I'm going to put you a link if you want to be uh, in the panel. And uh, excuse me as I go for this, uh, trying to get on board. Uh, this is a new experiment. Hi, Wendy. I'll, uh, there, let's see, see if you can use that later on. That, that gets you on board straight. So tell me if that link uh, actually works. That would be fantastic. Anyway, guests on this session, we've got... Uh, uh, we got Glenda, Glendy Semino. I hope I pronounced that right. And there's a lovely, glorious uh, photo of her there. Uh, brilliant. And uh, we're going to be having something of a dream. There we go. 
Uh, give you a moment to read that while I take the banner off for a moment here. Okay. And um, as I say, uh, Glenn is going to talk to us about uh, dream interpretations. And we got uh, Claire Louise Nifton, a neighbor. Uh, she'll be on a bit later. She's going to chat to us about angel card divination amongst other wonderful things. Uh, so, uh, as I say, some of you have come on board, and uh, hello to those of you who have. German is here. Uh, lovely to see you. Good morning from the Netherlands. Lovely, Sherry. Lovely to have you on board, as usual, uh, from East Main. Uh, fantastic. Uh, and there's uh, Claire Roach, who says she's getting great reception. I think she's only two rooms away from here. And uh, good morning from uh, Wendy. And uh, as you can see, I'm back in Karakrori and broadcasting to you from there, which is nice. The snow and the cold is gone. The temperature's rising a bit. It's a bit uh, drizzly here. And I'm using this cheap old microphone uh, that I use a couple of weeks for a couple of weeks in Dublin rather than the trusty Blue Yeti. So I hope the, the audio is good uh, for you. Anyway, let's uh, get right on uh, into the history, a bit of history on divination. And that's uh, something uh, uh, to give you a bit of wonder to start from. And often divination is thought of as being fortune telling and uh, almost like a sort of fortune telling party trickery, I think, and just a bit of fun. And uh, I suppose they an example of that is our fortune cookies uh, that we get uh, at the end of the Chinese meal. Or these days, uh, the Chinese takeaway, of course. Uh, I hope you're bearing up uh, still during the conditions that we're in. And in ancient times, before widely shared science, um, before we had democracy, if that does exist, and books uh, printed, uh, legislation, divination was really the main human guidance, it must have been for living, because what else did people have, uh, aside from the religion? But it seems around the home superior to religion was the crafts of divination passed through the family. And humans always, I, the reason for this, humans have always had questions, and they look for other humans with some kind of divination skills to guide them through pursuing the questions. And uh, there, I love that old picture, giving that one. So, should we should we go for divination or fortune telling? Um, the one thing, and I brought this up on Sunday sessions before, is in ancient times, uh, a king or a chieftain, or even a queen, and I'm going to bring this up about the queens and labyrinths next week, could not be the position that they're in unless they had crafts and skills of divination and often this was presented through a harp or a musical instrument or through some kind of totem and they had to demonstrate that skill in order to be in leadership it wasn't uh, an inheritance it wasn't so much through conquering and it certainly wasn't from going to university or something like that it's the divination and the craft and the way that this helps the people around and the confidence of that was very much of leadership now, divination to me seems to be ritual, it's communal, it's connecting, and it includes elements that can become applied in a religion, and even form a religion, 
Uh, but the best part is I believe that divination, especially these days, is a wonderful form of therapy, a kind of medicine. And we got Claire uh, in the uh, backstage there. Hi, Claire. Good to see you. Now, fortune telling to me, and I've got uh, something on that, I think, is personal. And uh, unfortunately, I feel that fortune telling can be riddled with expectations. But fortune tellers seem to be a, a lot more popular than, I suppose, if you can say purist diviners, if there's such a thing. And they tend to be better paid than the therapeutic diviners that it seems. And here's a, a wonderful example of that here. Um, now, I, let's get the banner off here. <laughs> right. Um, now, my own thought uh, on this is that um, divination could be good counsel. And I think there's nothing more therapeutic and nothing to help us move on our way, move on our direction and sustain our vision and fire up our visions than good counsel, whether it's with one person or a few people. I believe in councils rather than meetings. There isn't division in councils. They tend to meet in a circle, don't they, rather than us than them. And uh, I find that if you're in good council, it stirs your imagination and your inner vision, and it can often become storytelling. It's storytelling therapy at its best, uh, I believe. And it's certainly been a huge help for me uh, through my life. Now, while fortune-telling is personal, sometimes it might be selfish uh, with our hunger and longing for belonging, uh, looking for a magical happily ever after solution to our situation. And I feel, unfortunately, a side effect of this, uh, if it's taken in that longing and hunger direction, it could become awfully addictive. That's my opinion on that. But sadly, I think it's the fortune-telling effect that can diminish the therapy and it can diminish the personal imagination because there's this reliance on the fortune-teller, the what they say. And uh, we've seen the big scale of that, haven't we? Uh, uh, I, I, the whole thing with uh, Washington just now uh, is almost, in a way, a sort of an action of following a fortune-teller. That's my reaction to it anyway. But... Uh, so important, I think, for the diviner to stir the personal imagination, stir the motivation and recharge using their divination craft to serve the people. So are these people in divination, are they prophets? And uh, is it prophecy uh, that what they uh, engage in? And uh, there is a... a it's a Greek word, I th this seems to all come from. Let's see if I can pull this up for you. Uh, there you go, some spelling there. Prophecine to tell in advance the prophecies, a prophets, uh, a person who speaks, a prophetess, a person who speaks of future events. Now, in uh, Islam, uh, I think Islam presents us with a, a lovely example. Just move this picture off you for a minute. Uh, in the word of God in human language in Islam, it's forbidden. Um, and we must accept that when we put words to inspirations from divination, this is our own language. It's not the word of God. It's, 
It's what we translate from what we sense. So any words we create from our senses are our own. They're not God's word. I think that's an interesting thing that's developed in Islam. Now, in Judaism, if I can bring these lads up, uh, the prophets are those that somehow act out the parables. They act out parables of their translations of their uh, inspirations. And then um, with Christians, it seems uh, they make it simple, I suppose. Prophecy comes through the Holy Spirit, a kind of messenger of uh, God. Um, and then with much of the rest of us, I suppose, the pagans, the spiritualists, the pantheists, the Jedis, and the other people, uh, it's all around uh, the kind of uh, inspiration. And the one thing to bring up, uh, I had this picture here, and this is what we tend to believe, that all the prophets are men. But there's lovely women prophets, and as usual, they're kind of at the side. And there's Noah's wife presenting him, I believe. It was Noah's wife who was inspired to build the ark, not Noah himself. Uh, there's a story, I think that... Uh, came up from an old translation, I don't know what book, but I've heard that a few times, you know, beside uh, every uh, good man is um, an inspired woman, something like that. And there's this woman, maybe you can remember her name. That's an, a major prophet, uh, certainly in before medieval times. Sorry, I can't remember her name at all. Uh, but the one thing with the rest of us, prophecy manifests through the images that we create, I think, through our sensing. And so these being uh, the sort of things we get through the sensing, uh, as I often say to the visitors to the labyrinth gardens here, that uh, you get these senses. It's a language before any of our languages because it's our senses. You don't find a rabbit hopping around a labyrinth and uh, mumbling a chance. You know, a rabbit is a rabbit. They're, they're feeling with all their senses, the sight, smell, hearing, so forth. So they have no, and birds are the same when they jump around. They're not putting words to it. But we like to see images. When we feel things and we, we don't see them, we put images. So we, I think, I always say it's wonderful the images we put. We have our guardian angels and uh, spirit guides and uh, animal totems. And then, of course, uh, one thing people go around the tree labyrinth, what comes back to them are their invisible friends. And I love this one, and I think it's topical at the moment. And then we uh, have our pukas as well. So I, I mentioned prophets and prophecies because I believe that divination is a collective word of the tools and the crafts of those who appoint themselves to become well, an operator, seers, obates, uh, and mediums. And here's an example here. There we go. There's someone that's doing a bit of searing and shocking. <laughs> uh, but our general word, it seems to be that we have a calling. We feel or recognize that we are mediums for the oracle, uh, the portal through which uh, perhaps prophecy uh, flows. Uh, and I think I'll go back to, on to Judaism, a bit of an example there, because the prophets are those that somehow act out the parables. I've mentioned this already. The parables are their translations of their sensed uh, inspirations. Uh, anyway, let's have a see what you're chatting. Lovely to have the guests here. I'm, I'm so looking forward to getting them on board. I better stop chatting soon so they can do a bit of chatting. And uh, let's... Uh, 
or let's see who's arrived. And there's Mira watching from uh, Mexico. Lovely to see you. And uh, you're excited about this topic. I hope this it's only an introduction. I'm going to put more in the course, but I hope you'll get something from this, especially when we got the guests, Mira. Uh, thanks for being with us. And Sharon, good morning. Shell, I think we said good morning. And uh, have I missed anybody? Sorry if I've missed anybody, but there we go with our lovely audience here today. And thank you all for being here. Oh, Marcella's turned up. Hello, Marcella. Marcella Gilligan, she's uh, loving this. Uh, thank you for being here and for being on board. Lovely. Now let's get on to something else. Hydromancy, scrying. Uh, that's a, a personal favorite of mine, something I think I've been practicing since I was a child. And I love this. To me, this is very much in the, a lovely combination image because we're coming up to Breeders' Day uh, in bulk. But for Bridget's Day, the idea of Bridget, it tends to be associated with fire. But if you think about it, in a lot of places, and I always think about this with the swallow holes up at Keshkoran Hill here, and especially with the snow melting just now, that you get this water that comes gushing out and it, it fills up the wells and we have these turrocks that pop up, uh, all these water little locks that turn up just in February. And when we get to Imbolc, that's the dead center of Aquarius, and I think that's a lovely symbol of the Aquarius uh, woman pouring the water. I think, it again, it's uh, divination that pours out a lot of feelings, and uh, it provides a lovely map for how we live our lives, uh, I believe. But anyway, scrying. Um, Today is the general word for staring into all kinds of mediums, uh, fire, mirrors, crystals, stones, and of course my favorite being the water. But to prepare for scrying, whatever it is, whatever your medium is, it does need a meditative mindful state. Um, you definitely need to be tuned into that, and if you do mindfulness, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think pretty much everyone in the audience here I don't know, and I don't really have to go into that. Uh, but also, I add to this the enchantment uh, with uh, chants, aromas, music, and the enchantment, I suppose some people might describe as some form of hypnosis. Uh, now, let's get my controls properly. So these practices, are, uh, they've been recorded way back, especially the water one, to ancient Egyptian and Persian times. Of course, I... Those who listened to me on Sunday, I love the background to a lot of the mythology and folklore here, as attributed to the Minoans and from the Minoans before then, uh, the uh, Persians and before them, uh, the Zoroastrians and the whole Middle East thing that came from that. But even Mormon founder Joe Smith, he used three different color stones to inspire his teaching. So the Mormon faith, in a way, was actually started off with three stones. And then uh, for you Lord of the Ring fans, there we have it. We have the Palantir. Uh, and that was that was used in the movies for the uh, scrying. There we go. <laughs> uh, so uh, it, it gets into, well, not so much Hollywood. That was New Zealand, wasn't it? So from scrying images, uh, in, from scrying, when we do scrying, looking into water, looking into crystals, and we're in a state of mindfulness, and enchantment, images are seen, and we may verbally re record them in our, 
because uh, when you have an emotional experience, I find that really sinks into your memories. So we might record them in a memory, verbally record into maybe where we got a microphone somewhere or somehow if we can write them down. But if you know from those experiences, it's like writing down dreams that you got to do it right away or the whole uh, bunch of it is kind of lost, isn't it? Um, but my own favorite craft of this is with water and being outside, hydromancy, the oldest form, uh, staring into pools, and there's our local uh, well there, and but staring into the pools of spring wells, sacred wells, holy wells, and I love this one, uh, this bias that's changed, it changes its name every few years, so I'm not going to go into that, but this is a lovely pure water spring well that we're fortunate to have near us, very simple. You can see they're sort of bubbling away at the left. And to me, that's a perfect place for hydromancy. The oldest form just uh, staring into that absolutely gorgeous time. And it's a simple, there is a simple tradition where women would stare into a pool of water like that, uh, the spring pools around it. Sometimes this would be in bulk or Bridges Day, uh, or on the eve of May Day in some areas. That's where the tradition is. And both of these have the purpose of trying to see the mate that they're about to meet. Um, and obviously, that's very out-of-date tradition with the equality culture that we're now living with and working towards. Plus, it's very simplified interpretation uh, when all of the divination opportunities from scrying, from peering in water are considered. Uh, now, hydromancy is really, it's workshop stuff, so I'm only going to bubble through it a little bit here. I'm going to have tutorials on my she water and, and tree folklore course. But the key thing to consider maybe is the relationship of the moon to pools of water. And I think I've got some lovely pictures of that here. Um, yeah, let's go through a few of those. There's, uh, I think that's a lovely introduction to it, even though that's a, a man-made pool. It's lovely, but here's here's one. I think that's uh, beautiful uh, in itself. Uh, moon striking through onto the water and looking into that. You can imagine the visions if you're in a state of mindfulness. All kinds of stories and feelings are going to come from something like that. And this is an artist impression, but I love it. And here is a bit of uh, crescent moon, which we've just gone past. Uh, into a scrying bowl. So there's a couple, a few kind of examples of that. But visiting these uh, pools during moonlight, um, I recommend that much more than doing that through daylight, um, through sunlight. And images are taken through the shadows and they appear in the water, especially when there's willow trees nearby. This picture, there are sort of weeping willows there. And that tree, the willow tree, is sort of a conduit between the moon and the water anyway. Um, but that's another session to explain that a bit further. But I think you, a lot of you will get the sense of that. But when you're looking into these pools, uh, the one thing that I feel is very, very important, uh, where I have these women here who uh, they're expecting to see the image of a mate, don't have any expectations. I think that's the most important thing is uh, don't expect that man to come up. But if you're fully enchanted and you're fully in tune with that water and you're fully connected with it, then you're totally open 
to the reflection, the reflected dream that comes from the water. And usually when the image comes to you, it's very, very different from the expected dreams. Now there is a poem, I haven't really, don't want to put time into it, where it's an old poem from Donegal that I sometimes do, but I'll leave it for another time. But you know, they sometimes some women, they're expecting to see a vision of a man. They see nothing for a while. And others, they just see an older version of themselves, sometimes a younger version. And then a whole different story comes uh, forth. And I think that uh, it's very important to accept that and don't have uh, the expectations. There's something. There we go. There's a woman with some sort of expectation. And look at the image that comes out here. And I had to find an excuse to put this. I assume this is a woman too. Look at that. There's, looking at, there's a swan scrying into the uh, pool there. Which uh, <laughs> I'm trying to contain the show into an hour. I'm racing quickly. Uh, so I'm not going to expand on the uh, that. Whoa. Uh, trying to get it into an hour. I'm not going to expand on that. But there are little tricks, divine as dawn water, that force us to see things. Uh, if you're accompanied by a diviner, and one of the things is they drop pebbles uh, and they skim pebbles and you get those rings. And what does that make you think of? Those of you, you get this in the USA, but especially around Ireland, Scotland, UK, and uh, you get uh, spirals, don't you, on stones. Is this connected to the spiral on stones? Some say they're labyrinth ways, but maybe it's to me it was the little tricks of, Throwing water uh, in, with pebbles, did that inspire labyrinths in a way? Uh, there are, is a tradition of British Day, for instance, in Scotland, where there are stones that have ripples like these uh, skimming stones. They pour milk and let the milk uh, run through them. And so I think the simple act of skimming stones really erupted the diviners. You know, that's a message. That was saying something. So that's a very early divination. And I think I've got another one here, a lovely one. There you go. That's the the third one uh, there. Uh, some people, they drop essential oils into the water and the coloring start floating around and they take readings from that and see how they flow. Uh, so oils, natural oils, essential oils are make like an oil ripple. Natural colorings will make a ripple. And some people do readings from that. But doing all this in, I suppose, blessed scrying bowls rather than going to wells, it's an indoor option. As you know me from what I'm saying, I like to be outside with stuff as soon as possible. So I'm looking forward to doing these Sunday sessions outside again, but I don't think we can do that until mid-February. Anyway, I could talk about this for ages. And uh, one of the other things is a lot of people transfer this to crystal bowls, but uh, it's nearly 2.30, so I'd better move on uh, pretty quickly because we've got some exciting people to chat to you and looking in the comments. Big Bear, uh, hello. Uh, don't worry about being late, Big Bear, because um, this is going to be archived. The moment I'm off the air, boom, you got the archive. It's going to be stuck there forever, so you can go back over it again. Ah, oh, we got Sarai here uh, very much. Uh, Oh, God, uh, I think I mentioned sorry last week with the wells. And uh, this woman is amazing. I wish I'd had it. We're going to have you have you as a guest sometime. 
because she's been spending, I think, four years uh, going around Ireland, getting local people to preserve their wells, recognize their wells, upkeep their wells, and just have a passion. Uh, the understanding, the connection to wells is perhaps the most important thing in their community because we are so spoiled. We have, um, most of us have water pipes and we have water systems in our homes. And we forget that uh, communities were built up by this magic source of water coming from deep down uh, in the ground. And there it is. It's, it's as much a gift as fire, you know. You get lightning hit a, an oak tree um, and this fire. What a gift that is for the people. You get water bubbling up from the ground. That is a gift, our need of pure water, of healing water. And, of course, the community is going to be around that. So, sorry, uh, it's lovely work you're doing there. We're going to have to get you on board for that. I'm already getting sidetracked here because of all these fantastic people that are turning up uh, for this session. Uh, and then uh, Donna, when she's got something out, I don't know a lot about the subject, find it fascinating. It's vast. I'm trying to cover a big thing, divination. Should, really, if I wanted to, and someone's bound to do this if they haven't done already, you could do a divination subject each once a week through the year, and you still don't cover everything. And I'm trying to put this all into an hour. Anyway, uh, let's, uh, let's get on with... Uh, the show, dream interpretation, let's move on to that. Um, I wish I could do more on water. I will, and tomorrow, uh, next week with the labyrinth thing, I will cover it. So dream interpretation, and you can guess I'm leading into the next guest here. And I love what's revealed through uh, dream interpretations, and it's a very powerful, very strong uh, divination. And for me, it's a storyteller's dream. It's the resource of content. But I'm not going to talk about this because we've got Glenda, Glenda Samino here, who's going to do this for me. And uh, uh, it's one of her divination passions. Uh, so, Glenda, I'm, uh, it's lovely to have you here uh, for Dream Interpretations. So let's say hello, and we're going to welcome Glenda. I'm just going to get my ear, ear muffs in before so I can actually hear what you're saying. There we go. So, hello, Glenda. There you go. Hi, lovely to meet you. Lovely to be here. Um, I don't consider myself an expert, but I do talk from my experience, which I've had a lot of. Um, I had the very good fortune for many years to be involved in a dream group with the, the Isis priestess, Pat Griffin, the late Pat Griffin. And every week we met as a small group. We brought our dreams. We went around the circle. We had coffee and tea and cakes and shared our dreams. And nobody was prescriptive. Nobody said, this is what your dream means. But we would throw up ideas. Each of us would have an inspiration, maybe related to numerology, maybe related to um, some other kind of symbolism. Maybe does the person in that dream that you didn't know remind you of anything? Uh, and what qualities does that person have? Um, there's so many ways. We look, You looked at the Jungian aspects of dreams. And uh, there's so many different ways to interpret dreams. The important thing for me is that you are the arbiter of your dream's truth. Other people can help you to come up with ideas that you might look at. But in the end, it's you know yourself better than anyone else. 
And our dreams come from a very, very deep place in us, a very deep place of our unconscious or subconscious, which is always trying to communicate with the conscious mind. So there's no such thing as a meaningless dream or an unimportant dream. Sometimes in our dream group, a person would come and say, well, you know, I don't know. I didn't really have, I don't remember much of my dream. I just have a fragment. That's okay. Your conscious mind has held onto that fragment because that fragment may have a lot to teach you. So I would highly recommend um, having some good friends that you could meet with and discuss your dreams together and come up with different angles and viewpoints. The meaning of colors. There's there's so many ways of looking at it. But um, I find that dreams are really a key to what's happening in our present. And also they can also be precognitive. But I would think that in dreams, like dreams aren't really within the linear time frame that we interpret them into. It's not this happened and that happened and that happened. Um, in dreams, a past, present, and future can all merge together in what I call time soup, which is, I think, why we can sometimes see the future. And I've had very rarely, but with great value, I've had dreams that have actually happened later on in actual life. And what I've, what caught me to remember the dream and the dream's relation to the reality, this sort of sense of deja vu, was very often something to do with shapes and forms. Like I was in a rectangular space sitting at a table. And in the dream, that might have been insignificant. In the real life situation, it might have been quite important. But that's just an aside, really. I think that um, we have so much to learn from our dreams about ourselves and our world. I would like to say, as a general principle, that I believe we live in a world of consciousness where every single object is not an object, but is a being. And we've forgotten that. And we've forgotten that we are intimately related to every other being on this planet. And every being on this planet has a right to exist and should never be used as an object or as, a, as a, a tool for someone else. It's right to live as in its own life. And we should be working toward respecting that more. Everything on this planet is evolving. Peter Russell once said that the questions that scientists ask about the origins of the world are a little bit wrong. Um, the question might be asked like, how did consciousness arise out of matter? And Peter Russell and I say that um, it's the other way around. Like, how did consciousness produce matter? Because I think consciousness precedes matter and the universe is a conscious place. How can we be conscious if the earth is not conscious? How can the earth be conscious if the universe is not conscious? So I think the dreams help us get in touch with our universal consciousness, with our innate wisdom and our ability to use those dreams to, um, to if we use them in a non-selfish way, we can use them to improve our relationship to our own self and to the world. Now, I really came today, if I have another minute, I, oh. I sorry. Oh, definitely. I, uh, I just was about to just compliment you. The, the perception and delivery, uh, absolutely fabulous. Yes, do carry on, please. <laughs> Well, John, I found you by accident. I am delighted to actually be in contact with you. It's it's very nice. <laughs> and uh, doing very much. But yeah. I, I want to say that um, I use my cards quite a lot. I use a lot of different cards. Mostly I use the I Ching because here's the magician 
And you were talking earlier about enlightenment coming. We are mediums. The magician is a symbol of the medium. He's holding up his his uh, symbol here to show that what he knows comes through the heavens into him. He is not the source of the knowledge. He's not the source of the information or the wisdom or the life. But he, through him, it goes to the earth. And you see the earth is flowering because of him. And on the table, he has the four suits of the tarot, which is very significant. He has the, the coin or the pentacle, which is for earth and practical reality. It has the cup, which is water, and it's for the feeling of emotions in the subconscious. It has the sword, which is in intellect and the wind, the air. Um, and thoughts are actually the easiest things to change in our lives. Um, and the baton, which is the element of fire and creativity of all kinds. So what the magician knows, he knows because of the infinity symbol over his head that he is in a human life. He's probably had many human lives and maybe animal lives as well. And he's an infinite being in his human existence. And he knows how to use each of the tools of the tarot when it's necessary. He doesn't, most people would say, well, I'll think my way through a problem or I'll feel my way through it or throw money at it or um, just come up with a creative idea and let somebody else carry it out. But basically, the magician knows how to do all of this. And when the magician goes wrong, when he's reversed, it's when he starts thinking that he is the source of his wisdom. And then he becomes a quack, a sham, and a fake. Well, so I love the way that you've taken one card because I know you you use various crafts yourself. And in a way, it's very cruel to just have you on for 10, 15 minutes because we could even have an hour. And I'm going to have the same challenge we got Claire Louise Nifton, who again is a person of many crafts, and the, the whole vastness of the uh, divination is quite fantastic. But that bit that uh, you've really got to the core of divination, and that's lovely with the magician. So, uh, thank you for that. I put up um, a poetry link there for you, and I noticed there was a time there was a lot of poetry because I don't see a website for you. I noticed the yeah, poet. Yeah. The, uh, was the way uh, the only thing I got to the way or at and uh, I'm on Facebook. And water, water has come up this morning so significantly for me. I had a, a Facebook message from the water protectors, um, the the Native American ones, and a Facebook message I'd never seen before from a group of women who are water protectors. So if you look at my Facebook page, which is just my name and a picture of me with a group of friends. Um, you'll find uh, links to those because I can't put them up at the same time as I'm on this. And then I did an I Ching reading this morning about what was the most important thing to know and share at this time. And I got the abysmal con water over water, which is a lot about our objective political situation, our situation with the virus. And it says that we may not find the key for three years, which is not too encouraging. But um, it's a situation to which we must become accustomed. It's a repetition of danger. But if we're sincere, what we will do will succeed. And uh, we should walk in virtue and teach what we know, all of us. And that situation becomes one, if we can overcome the egotism we, and get rid of selfish, ulterior considerations and persevere in justice and steadfastness, we can dissolve the, the curse of egotism, which is ruling our political world and which is also, you know, sometimes affecting the way in which we relate on a one-to-one -one basis as well. 
So we need to um, work together, use ritual, use celebration of sac sacred rites, sacred music, um, and that will help us become more aware of that we're all part of the same cosmos and that our, all beings originate from the same source and are the same source. Ah, fantastic. And uh, um, Marcel is uh, finding you fascinating, uh, wonderful, and fabulous. And uh, thank you, yeah, for the fires and mine. Thank you for your wisdom. There's uh, Claire there making a comment. I'll have to uh, close you, but hang on. I'm going to hopefully you'll have a few minutes for a panel uh, at the end. Uh, it's fabulous you being here, and I hope you'll join us again, Glenda, uh, because uh, there's so much there, and we deal a lot with the water and a lot more of the things you've been talking about with the Sunday sessions, and but we are limited to the hour, so it's almost like a magazine thing, but we'll get bits of you in uh, through the year, I hope. So thank you for joining us just now, and hope we will get a few minutes uh, from you a bit later. That's fabulous. Lovely. Uh, that Glenda, goodness me, Glenda, some in all there, and I'll get this out of my ears for a minute. And uh, as uh, wonderful, and well, as I say, so much in the um, uh, in the divination world. And one thing that uh, uh, I engage on myself is psychometry, token object reading. This is something I find quite essential in what I do, but I'm not going to have time to spend on that really. Uh, uh, well, what I find useful is uh, the psychometry is great on locations. I always find, I, I, I would love to know from any of you if you find this, you get to locations and suddenly inspiration comes to you. The whole story of that location comes to you. And I was doing a lot of uh, tours uh, around to local ancient sites here, especially the wells. And I always find that when I went to uh, particularly wells, suddenly all this imagery came out and I suddenly became the storyteller of the location. And a lot of this stuff I share on the Sunday sessions uh, has been inspired. That's where a lot of people say, what books do you read? What books do you read? It's really the question should be, what locations have you visited? Because I tend to verify the stories by books and articles later. But the, I must tell you one story. And this will uh, uh, get, uh, get a kick out of this one. Uh, the well, the Bridges well, the heart-shaped one uh, over uh, below Ushnik. Forget its name, uh, but uh, they've been cleaning it up there for a while. I took a woman along there, um, and she had a son. I forget what the illness is called, but uh, we're sort of a disconnected. He couldn't speak. He didn't have any speech, but he had a lot of sensing. And we got to that well, this heart-shaped well, um, uh, the below Yushnik, and he started going into moon dancing. And I thought, well, what's this all about? And he was laughing, and he was sort of shrieking a bit and going into this moon dance. And I later found out that uh, you might be familiar that Michael Jackson actually visited that area and, and went into a nearby recording studio. And um, for a little while, he actually recorded some local traditional songs, but uh, the family won't allow them to be released. But apparently he used to take his children down to that well and he would write songs. And there was this lad uh, with a huge mental disability going, he sensed it, he sensed his presence and went into a breakdown. So that was a fabulous example of location. Anyway, I better move on very quickly here. Um, something 
you know, pick up things at locations, pick up a story. Um, goodness me, I've, uh, I've got, sorry, uh, give me a second. I've got a little bit of uh, a technical hitch that's uh, hit me. Um, right. I don't know what happened there. But uh, moving on, uh, pools of water again. Uh, I talked about that, the locations uh, of that. Uh, it's, uh, that's where I get a lot of the uh, inspiration as well. And then the, um, the man, I think one of the most fantastic things is dreams that we're talking about and visions. And the, um, perhaps you can remember his name, the person who discovered the DNA. And he actually had dreams at all. I think it was a staircase. Uh, oh, I'm racking my brains uh, trying to think uh, what that was. It was that um, he had two dreams. Um, there was the James Watson, that's it. He intertwined serpents with his first. Uh, dream and if you think of the chakra that type of thing and then it was the double-sized uh, staircase and that's how he discovered um, the DNA Einstein did that through uh, rel discovering relativity through dreams as well most of the stuff of Einstein came out of dreams uh, and there was one time I think one that I had that was a big deal was uh, you know, and I've got all kinds of, and you've probably got some that you can share. And the one was a lucky escape. I actually fell asleep at the wheel uh, in my truck once, and I was going down a hill. And as I fell asleep at the wheel, I had a dream of crashing into a lorry, into a truck. I, I woke up, quickly put the brake on, and I was at the T-junction. And the, the truck that I was dreaming of went in front of me. So there you go. you got the guiding spirit. you got your prophecies. And they can save your life. Uh, pay attention to them. Uh, I wish I could do uh, a lot more of these. Astrology is one that I work with. And there's a quick flash of my chart. It's very, very brief. There we go. I'll give you about five seconds with that. And uh, an experience that I had uh, was one time when I was a little hard up. And I did a bit of distant astrology readings. Uh, we didn't have the internet. So, of course, it was done by the mail, done by the post. And I had some contracts on my owner. And of course, on my owner, it's a place that uh, pretty much everyone goes to at least once in their life. And in order to do uh, someone's astrology reading, I couldn't do, oh, there's this aspect and there's this planet and it's in that sign. I couldn't do that. It was like doing a composite sketch and just putting everything together. And I had to have a face. I couldn't write up anything until I had formed a face from the chart. And then I, I looked at that face, and that's what I would write about. And I could see where that face was going. And then working on Iona, uh, uh, the jetty, I'd see people. Excuse me, I've seen you somewhere before. Where have I seen you? Hmm, you know, who are you? And then it turns out it's someone that I had actually done a reading for in the distance. And the face that I had come up with uh, was, uh, it was them. Uh, there was another one. I did Psyching Mystics uh, Fair. And, and of course, uh, 
used to do those travel around. I used to do the same thing. And you have to do that rapidly. You've got to draw the chart up in five minutes. You've got to get a picture of the person. They're going to be in front of you. They've got the 10-minute reading that they're paid for. And I got through that in the same method very easily. But there was one. And I was doing this chart up. And I, I perhaps had been away from home for a while. And uh, all I kept thinking of this woman that was doing this chart, I just wanted to jump into bed with her. I thought, no, I've been away from home for too long. And I couldn't get this out of my head that I wanted to jump in bed with this woman. And, of course, she came up and she was sauntering away. She had sort of rotty clothes. I thought, oh, God, you know, what am I going to say? And so I mumbled, oh, your sun is in this, your moon is in that, and, and so forth. And she sort of smiled at me and said, would it help to tell you that I'm a prostitute? And <laughs> so it was, um, and what she come to me, she wanted to move out of prostitution and wanted to be a designer of erotic clothes. So anyway, that's, I've got to move on. There's, we're going on to cartomancy now. Cards, uh, briefly, that came up with Glenda, uh, Tarot, Sybil, angel cards, etc., And there's so much I'd love to share with you, especially the ancient origins, uh, Babylonian stories. There was uh, Glenda talking about timelessness. And I think one of the things we forget, and uh, we can understand that, I think, if we go back to Babylonian pre-Persian, where they were the inventors of calibration, maybe it was three sticks, and they got the sticks evenly apart. Oh, there's a measurement there. And out of that measurement, things were built. Geometry came a craft. And time was invented. Distance was invented. So until that point, we lived a timeless life. And, um, and that, I think, you know, that was pointed out. Past, present, and future are concepts I believe we make out of, uh, you know, there is a, a thing about being present. But I think we make these concepts out of being conditioned in our culture with calibrations. And we believe, you know, the calibrations were existing before us. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm, I do have a special guest. I've been eager to have an excuse to feature. And I uh, thank you for waiting so patiently. Uh, we've got, uh, there she is with her angel cards, uh, Claire Louise Nifton. She engages in several divination practices and works very hard, it was working very hard to create holistic and divination fairs around Ireland, but dance seems to be her first love. But when you see her, you will see that Claire, what you can see there, she's actually built for dancing. And um, by sometimes challenge Claire about her angel divination cards. But today, it's very much uh, my honor to host Claire, to share a few minutes. She, as I say, she's got a lot of crafts, but I've asked, if she can share with you what she does with angel cards and a, a bit about uh, who she is. So let's uh, say hello and uh, welcome to almost a neighbor. Here we are. Uh, it's Claire Louise yeah. and Effie. Look, look at her there. Hello, Claire. I have to put glasses on. Right. Um, I hate these things, but there we go. Uh, good afternoon, Claire. How are you Hello. doing? Good. Oh, you can good. hear me all right, can you? This is a first for me. I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah. Uh, you've got, a, it looks like you've got a, a microphone on. Or have you got this on another device somewhere? I'm getting an echo back from you. Oh, hold on. Maybe it's the phone. There you yeah. go. Uh, I'll just turn this off. Will that work? 
Yeah, so then you can go back yeah, on when we were adding. Does that help? <coughs> uh, say that again. Does that help? Still a bit right yeah, we'll be in a few seconds. We've got this few seconds delay. Once we've got that out of the way, we'll be fine. Okay, okay. So I've really enjoyed listening and I really enjoyed Glenda's talk as well. Um, and some of what I took from that was the idea of everything sort of being sacred. Uh, all of life being sacred, and that's the approach that I like to bring with my work um, in whatever form the work takes. So um, I started out as a counsellor originally, and that for me feels very much like it was the, the, the root or the baseline for me to grow on. Um, and I was always interested in energy work and whatever was out there in the ether that we couldn't see. Um, so then um, did some training in spiritual healing and in Reiki. And it was through that then that I came to realize that I had psychic ability. Um, so um, I see and I hear and then I also feel in my body. Um, uh, messages or yeah, messages that need to be, then be interpreted. So I originally started out working with Medicine Woman tarot cards, um, and this is about 22 years ago. And over time, that evolved, and I now use angel cards. And the reason that I use angel cards is because I rather like the energy of them. Some of the tarot cards can be a little bit uh, dark, um, so, uh, and I love color. So I work with some angel cards now and I use them as a means of going a little bit deeper. So when, um, I'm doing a reading for somebody, I make a connection, an energetic connection with the person. Um, and, uh, I listen in and, uh, then I use the cards, um, to deepen what I'm picking up on because maybe I'm missing something that, so uh, and then the job then is to, is to interpret what I'm seeing or hearing or feeling and to be sometimes a little bit diplomatic in how I put that information over as well. Um, there needs to be a sensitivity around it because often people will come for a reading, maybe out of curiosity, um, but often because there's an issue that they're very troubled with or they're looking for some help with. So um I'm not one that would, to, would deliver information in a very hard way. I would always try and find a way of making it so that it's acceptable, uh, you know, that there's kindness in it. Um, so I've been doing this for about 20 years. More recently, I have been working with family constellation work, which I find absolutely fascinating. Um, and it sort of keys into working with readings, with angel card readings as well. Um, because sometimes people just come for a reading because they just want information. And that's fair enough. But the work I prefer is where perhaps people are looking to make some change for themselves or they're wanting something different in their life. So then um, we look at, well, what's stopping that happening? Because if we just keep doing the same thing, nothing's really going to change. And family constellation work keys into that by looking at... Um, the inherited trauma um, from our ancestors. So, um, for example, so for seven generations back on both our mother's side and our father's side, um, people would have gone through wars, famine, all sorts of trauma, losses. 
And when we come into this life, um, we tend to unconsciously pick up and try to make it better for someone who lived a few generations ago. So often issues like that can be identified in a reading. Maybe someone's having trouble uh, meeting a partner or um, getting pregnant or is constantly finding themselves in the same pattern with um, finances. So we can look at that and use um, the divination the reading to help us identify where that might be coming from and then to um, work it through uh, by lifting that uh, burden, letting it go back to the ancestors and then walking free of it into what we really want in our life. So that's the sort of work I really like. Um, and then, of course, I, I dance. I love to dance, uh, love music. And I use the cards in the dance as well, sometimes simply by taking a card at the beginning um, and having a look and getting a sense of what the... I would have already set a theme for the class, but it can be nice then to pull a card and have a sense of confirmation around what we're actually doing. And sometimes the dancers like to go over and to take a card during the session as well. And it's part of their process because it's a, the, the dance is very healing. We move through a process. Um, so the cards can be very useful. Um, uh, there we go. All those tracks. Uh, uh, I'm going to have to bring you on to a panel very soon. Uh, okay. uh, this is going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to this because of some of the questions and statements that are coming through. So, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm going to uh, have you off for just a couple of minutes and I'm going to bring you and Glenda back on and we'll have a good chat and we're going to look at some of the questions that are coming up. So hold on there. Don't go away. And thank you for that, Claire. Uh, we'll be back with you. Wonderful. Uh, any questions you've got for Glenda and Claire, pump them up now. Uh, and this is uh, uh, where I do uh, my wee bit of do each week. I know a lot of you are actually subscribers. And a lot of this, especially the water scrying, water uh, divining, is going to be in the, uh, the she water and uh, Tree folklore that I'm trying to work hard at and get some of the first uh, uh, first tutorials up uh, before this month's end. And that's the link uh, to subscribe. And anybody on the Patreons, they will be getting uh, an instant subscription because I'm not having any course charges. So either a dollar uh, or euro or a pound a month or more. And links are all over the Karakori website as well. Uh, and it helps, there are, as you see with the setup I here, I have to pay subscriptions and there are costs in the Labyrinth Garden. So it all helps. I thank you all for your support. About at least half of you are already supporters, so I'm preaching to the converted. Thank you for your support so far. Thank you for the support uh, coming up. Um, and uh, there'll be some optional projects that uh, you go. So... I think uh, let's get this panel uh, going. And uh, I'm going to bring up, uh, we haven't had a panel for a while, so I forget how this operates. Uh, so let's get this going. We'll bring up Glenda again, and we're going to bring up, uh, there we go, we got uh, Claire, and let's see what this button does. Oh, it gets, oh, I like that. That's, a, that's kind of prettier. I haven't used that one before. What does this one do? Oh, we can shift people around. Okay, I, it's funny, I've been using this since March and I'm still trying to learn the, the stuff. 
Right. Uh, let's see what we've got uh, that's come up. Uh, we There's one I've, that got me, and I think this is goes back to what I was talking about earlier, uh, is um, a person asking a question. That's, to me, that, uh, thank you for that, Anne, but it comes across to me uh, as a fortune, uh, when I was saying about fortune tellers and diviners. And that is something I feel, you know, if someone's a fortune teller, uh, there would have to be a separate stream for that because this is a divination hour. But I think it's a lovely example of someone, we have human questions. And uh, so I put it to both of you on that is when someone is wanting them to unravel, looks as if they want them to, you to unravel their life, is what is your approach on that? How do you turn it around so they are the mediums of their own inspirations and how they move, can move forward to that? And uh, so with you, Glenda, how would you answer that one? Um. I would probably use the tarot. I, I might, if it was dreams, I would ask her what kind of dream she was having. They might have a clue. But for the tarot, I would, I would look at the question and say, how can we phrase this question so that she can find her own answer? So, for, can, can you hear me? Yes, very much so. Okay. okay, I would say, okay, you're talking about staying in the current rental or being asked to move somewhere else. So you're not actually taking agency for finding what you want for yourself. So the first thing I would do, um, this would probably be in the context of a, of a longer reading. I would say, let's draw three cards. You draw three cards for what'll happen if you stay in the rental and for what'll happen if you leave the rental. And then with the person looking at the cards with me, um, I would get her to see what looks most attractive to her, what seems to be the best option. And then if moving is, is something, I would say, okay, if you're asked to move, where would you like to move to? And try to take two cards for what would be the best place for you to move to. Um, so the person begins to play with the possibilities in their life, as opposed to being said, oh, we're going to now move to such and such a place. I don't know that. <laughs> All right, and Claire, how, how, how would your response <laughs> to that? Yeah, well, I actually pulled through a couple of cards. It's Anne, isn't it? Um, so the way that I work with that is by tuning into the energy of the person um, and my guides um, or my sense of connection with all of life. And then I pull a couple of cards. So just to show you what she got, um, New Beginnings was the first card. Can you see that? And then Romance as well. So cards <laughs> will mean different things for different people. But for Anne, um, whether she moves or not, it, the, it's a good outcome for her because they're both very cheerful cards, lovely colours and happy cards. New Beginnings, wrong hand, New Beginnings um, is a feeling of like literally a new beginning um, rather like springtime coming, so there's a lot of joy there and the sense of life expanding. Um, and romance as well. For somebody else, it might mean literally a romance. For another person, it could mean um, just a sense of life coming together, that things are good. Um, for Anne and this to do with her question, my sense is that she's going to be very happy whatever the outcome and I'll take a risk on it also and have just say I have this sense of maybe her moving because there's this sense of life opening. So I do feel there's a change there. And that's how I would answer it. 
Oh, wonderful. As I say, my approach on that is and, uh, with, with the astrology, there was uh, a psychic and mystics I was at. I think it was an ideal home exhibition, and the astrology seemed to be ridiculous, that, that it was people uh, that were saying they wanted an answer uh, to questions, you know, as if the clairvoyant or the diviner or whatever you call yourself there to come up with an actual plan for them. Uh, and my concept with this is, is showing the person how to draw their own map. And uh, I think this started with me. Uh, I got into this stuff and drawing this six, seven years old. I was going, uh, I got addicted to ordnance survey maps because I hated books. I, when I got to school, I could read fluently and I got bored with school very quickly. So I don't need nothing books. And uh, uh, there was an online survey map in our little uh, school. And I opened that up and I see all these symbols and I'd be off to the wells, off to the stone circles and, and trying to pick up the stories, then pick the stories. Then I get my friends together to actually enact these stories as uh, different characters. And through that, uh, through seeing the cartography of the map, I got uh, the family on father's side, they were doing astrology, they did navigation. So I was forever drawing maps and I've always thought uh, in divination with the idea of helping people how to draw a map rather than we be responsible for their answers. Uh, if you answer that uh, in, in the terms of helping people as a guide, as a map maker, I don't know. Let's see if that makes uh, Glenda give me an answer on that one. Oh, I put you. There is getting you on the. Let's get you back. Yeah, Glenda, an answer on that one. I I like the idea of helping people make their own map, because I think sometimes I I went to the psychic once because I kept having terrible times in sort of uh, secretarial jobs I was doing, working as a temp because I didn't want to get involved in certain other things and. Uh, she said, well, listen, like the reason you're having all the trouble in these jobs is because you don't belong in them. You know, you really should be doing something else, using your, your psychic gifts, for example. And I feel that uh, if, if uh, this, this person is required to move, it may be that's the best thing for her. And maybe new opportunities will flow open out of that. So I'd say in any situation that arises, try to see what's positive out of it. Once I had to go to hospital, it was a fairly serious uh, cellulitis infection. And I said, what good can come of this? There must be some good reason for me to be here. And next to me in the ward was a woman who was there because of a pneumonia condition, but she actually was starting to get dementia. And I was able to tell her, she'd say, I wish my husband would come and see me. I'd say, he came, he came this morning, and this is what he said to you. And to give her some sort of guidance and support. And... Um, her daughter came to me and gave me a little angel because she said I was the angel of the ward for being there for her mother. And uh, I really got so much out of it. And a big surprise, a friend of mine walked in one day and I said, oh, how did you know I was here? And she said, I didn't. The lady next to you is my mother and my ex-mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh, Claire, on that, that one as well, uh, the idea of helping people, I say map, you might think of it as something else, maybe to help create their story is another way that I look at it. What is your feeling on that and in your guidance and your work and in, in how you do that? Um, 
Yeah, my experience has been that people don't always want to take responsibility. Often, you know, people would come for a reading and I get I get I find less of those people come to me these days and I get more of the healing type work. But often people would just want the answer. Um, and it always troubled me slightly um, in that it keeps them going for a while. I suppose it gives hope at the end of the day. Um, which is really important that we all, that we have hope. Um, but I would love to, I always try to encourage people to, um, to find the way, the, the best way forward for them. Um, so the idea of maps, yes, it, it's a great one. It doesn't always sit easily with people, though. Sometimes it's a quick fix they're looking for. Yes, I agree with that. I'm yeah, I agree with Claire what you said. And I also felt intuitively what you said about that person was probably right. Ah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Thank you. Now, this, uh, I, thank you so much, both of you. I've, I've deliberately gone over the hour because I wish this could go on forever because, you know, once you get into the groove with this, uh, it's quite something. I hope we're going to have excuses to bring you back uh, in the future, the bouncer with the different subjects of the Sunday sessions. So thank you both. Thank you, Glenda. Thank you, Claire. Uh, it's been so fabulous uh, having you. And uh, and I'm sure there's going to be more comments on that. And uh, it's, it's, it's like sort of saying goodbye to the airport, but I hope we'll meet again. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Uh, that was uh, I've really enjoyed this session, even though it was a bit different for... Uh, our Sunday sessions. Uh, but it's, it's time for me to tell you what's coming up next week. We've got uh, labyrinths and labyrinthing since we're labyrinth gardens. That's the picture of the dancing lady before the herbs grew mad. That's the herb spiral labyrinth. Oh, uh, it's given me an idea. I'm going to ask the person who designed uh, that and who came and visited because I never knew who the designer was for a long time. I'm going to see if I can get her as a guest next week. That would really be the icing on the cake. Uh, but I'm going into ancient labyrinthing and the ancient origins. And it, it connects to the water, the idea of the water being uh, translated through labyrinth mythology and folklore can be a fascinating thing. And then Oum, it's a bit like today, Oum is a huge subject. Uh, we could have gone on for hours. I've split it up into five sessions. Uh, so I'm going into next week is the the Iona scribe story, because I first learned about the Oum really from a lovely man, Atty McKechnie, who was one of the original, uh, well, he worked for the renovation restoration of the Iona Abbey in the 1930s. And uh, he gave me the wonderful story of the, uh, how the Gales, because it is Argyle era Gale, how the uh, Gales with their tree language as he put it, uh, met with the Picts with their runes language and how that came together uh, as Orm and how that inspired uh, the scribes. So it's the Iron Scribe story. That's on the 24th. I'll go into a lot more of that. And then uh, moving on from there, it's going to be the 31st, Bridget's Tales and Traditions. We can't really do much else, uh, can we, <laughs> uh, uh, from that date? Uh, let's see uh, what uh, your passing comments are here, because uh, uh, I haven't been talking to you for a while. Uh, I'll get these here things out. 
great session. Glad you enjoyed it, Sherry. I, I definitely be in your uh, groove. Uh, yeah, thanks again for being here as well. And who we got here? Thank you, uh, Ashula. Hope I got that right. And I find this lovely uh, Willow Wicked name. Let's bring some of that up in the uh, old one in a couple of weeks' time. Lovely. And uh, I'm going to ask you personally, ask by using an ecosphere. I quite understand that. And there's Sherry with greetings uh, for Claire. So I think that's um, uh, just thank you uh, for all uh, being here. We're kind of winding down. And, of course, thank you again to Glenda Simonol. I hope I'm getting your pronunciation right. Claire Louise Nifton. I'd like to ask a lot of you who are going to be watching this later as the archive version. Keep commenting as you're watching. I keep coming back and look at the comments. Please subscribe. There's a bell icon, I think, on both YouTube and Facebook. That will remind you of details of the next Sunday sessions coming up. So thank you all. Enjoy a safe week uh, full of wonder, inspirations, enchantments, illuminations, and your personal divinations. So happy and blessed 2021 for you all. So, and it's until next Sunday, uh, play well, and I think that's it. Bye, bye.